Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. It's the Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yimby's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. It's extremely hard through industrially produced food in the U.S. and in, in other uh first world countries to get some of the nutrition that you need. Uh, but for the most part, I've, I've gone all completely back to whole foods, which was a surprising conclusion for me because I would much prefer to say, I just need to take these five pills and my job is done. I'm Dr. Oz, and this is the Dr. Oz Podcast. We're joined by Tim Ferriss, uh, Tim we had on the show uh, probably a year ago now, almost exactly a year ago, and uh, you know, we're a wonderful book that many of you are aware of, The 4-Hour Workweek, uh, where he chronicles how if we were just smarter about what we did in our lives, we'd just work four hours and be happy about it. It's not quite that simple, but uh, it gets to some of the root issues that many of us are challenged by, and that we want to work hard, but not necessarily work smart. So that's what I was thought I was done with the... Uh, the, uh, the challenges of trying to limit the number of hours I work in a week to four hours. He's come up with a book which has dominated my wife's recent reading called The 4-Hour Body, An Uncommon Guide to Rapid Fat Loss, Incredible Sex, and Becoming Superhuman. And uh, it, it is spectacularly laid out with pictures of him running and doing all kinds of fun things. Um, you know, really a, a user's manual to how to optimize your body. And before I let Lisa uh, loose on you, because she's going to, believe she's, <laughs> she's picked through this book. She's actually on the program Fantastic. that you outline in there. I wanted to get, uh, get, uh, kind of understand how you even began to get interested in this area. I mean, you, was it because you had so many hours free after only working four hours a week? <laughs> it actually predated the four-hour work week by about 10 years, I would say. So I was a... But you're a child. Come on. You're like 17. So <laughs> I just turned 17. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm maturing quickly. No, I was actually a competitive wrestler in high school and started tracking a lot of my physical data at about 16. So I have all of my workouts to this day. I still have all of the notebooks from about age uh, 18 onward, all of my workouts and uh, slightly obsessive behavior. I would say a little OCD going on there, right? Uh, but at the time I was cutting anywhere from 20 to 25 pounds routinely twice a week. That was in this case, water weight to make my weight class at 152. And so I had to learn by extension a lot about electrolytes and then that led to protein, carbohydrate, balance in meals, how that affected water retention, et cetera. But 
Just to be clear, you, you would lose 20 pounds? Very unhealthy. Yes. I would cut from 175 to 152 towards the end of my senior year. And I was an All-American senior year, uh, but it is not advisable to lose that much water weight, certainly. But in order not to permanently cripple yourself doing that, and it unfortunately is part of the sport, you have to learn a lot about how your body regulates heat, how much water you can lose per hour by, while maintaining 98.6 as opposed to jumping to... 100 or having your blood pressure skyrocket. So that was my starting point in data gathering. And then much, much later, now I'm in San Francisco. I'm an investor in a lot of tech startups like Twitter and StumbleUpon, Evernote. And new tools are available that allow you to do really spectacular things with self-analysis and self-tracking. So my dad was 245, 245 pounds at 5'6", about a year and a half ago and has since lost 90 plus pounds of fat, gained between 20 and 30 pounds of muscle Kidding. by making small changes once we knew what the patterns, what his patterns were, uh, not only in terms of looking at carbohydrates, fat, things like that, but looking at the behavioral change, looking at the behaviors and the habits. So a big part of this for me was not just looking at the how-to, but speaking to people like BJ Fogg, who's professor at Stanford and head of their persuasion lab to figure out why do people, for example whose marriages depend on quitting smoking, pick up that cigarette. Uh, why does a type 1 diabetic eat something that they know will require an additional shot of Humulin R or something like that? And uh, this is the outcome three years later of all these tests. Actually, since you raise an issue, talk about the motivational side. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you, they write the book, it's funny, um, mm -hmm. self-deprecating at times. <laughs> and yet, at the same time, you're chronicling some pretty amazing mm -hmm. tasks for yourself. Go back to the motivational issue. Mm -hmm. How do you motivate your dad? Right. to lose 90 pounds while gaining muscle mass. Right. So I, th I think that there were a few counterintuitive findings for me, at least, and this was reflected in a lot of the research and a lot of the, the literature, but you see it in, in the real world very clearly. When you have 90 plus pounds to lose, the task seems so insurmountable and the risk of failure is so high. And most of these, most people who have, who have that weight to lose have attempted diets in the past that it's very beneficial to start with extremely small changes. So that's what I tried to do and what ended up being very successful with my dad. Uh, you see that with Tracy in the book, lost 170, 117 pounds, mother of two, starting with small changes. So for example, in my dad's case, rather than say, all right, here's your new diet, you're going to follow this for the rest of your life, which is a very daunting prescription. I said, let's do a two-week trial. We're going to get your before and afters. We're going to look at your performance, so not just appearance, but I wanted to look at his lifts in the gym, which he tripled. And uh, we're going to. Two weeks he tripled? tripled. Uh, no, he tripled over the span of a few months, okay. his lifts. But. Tripling is a big number. It is, it is. <laughs> he, got, he got really strong. Uh, and we changed his breakfast so that he was getting 30 grams of protein within 30 minutes of waking up. So I wanted to make it easy to remember, easy to implement. Uh, and then secondly, made tiny changes to his meals and he had one day off per week as a psychological release valve among other things to eat whatever he wanted so it wasn't as though he was giving up his favorite foods for the rest of his life he, he was just doing it for six days at a time and that made it very sustainable 
Is, is the only reason that you allow that one day free, which my wife says she does every day now. Yes. <laughs> every day is a cheat day. Uh, is that the only reason to help? Because I must say, mm-hmm. uh, speaking from a very personal perspective, it doesn't help me to have a cheat day. Yep. Uh, it's just too far away. You don't away. need a diet. Okay. You, both of you, looking at you, you're both very self-disciplined, very fit people who don't understand the idea of cheating, period, when it comes to <laughs> but, potato chips. But if I was going to cheat, I'd rather cheat. You know, a little bit every night, yeah, and cheat like, once a week. Like so, an almond or a walnut. Yeah. So this is the, this is a, this is a good question and a really important topic. So, what I was looking for in making a, a mainstream recommendation was what would do the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And for many people who have weight issues, and when I say weight issues, in some cases that's an extra five to ten pounds. Mm-hmm. But for for people who really have weight management problems, let's say thirty plus pounds to lose. They, 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 in many cases, don't have an effective shut-off switch. So if they could just eat one cookie, it wouldn't be an issue. But if they have one cookie, there's a domino effect, and they'll eat 10, 20. And for myself, I actually know that's true with certain things like chocolate croissants, as an example. <laughs> so, so I limit the damage to one 24-hour period. <clears throat> it's not the only reason, though, the psychological aspect. When you look at some of the literature related to, let's say, thyroid conversion of T4 to T3, you find that very intermittent overfeeding helps maintain levels of uh, certain levels in, in specific ranges of T3 or affects leptin in ways that helps with sustained weight loss. Uh, and unfortunately, on many diets that are extremely calorically restrictive, uh, you'll see women stop menstruating, so you'll see amenorrhea, you'll, mean, you'll see a lot of side effects that can be fairly easily prevented with one day of strategic overeating. But for some people uh, who would fall in, let's say, your camp, uh, or even in my camp, if I really want to lose weight quickly, I will have one cheap meal a week, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think that the, the cumulative impact of cheating a little bit every day for most people is going to do more harm than good. But there are, let's just say, 10% of the readers out there who will not need to cheat at all. Yeah. Um, so I think it comes down to a very personal prescription. What was the biggest surprise for you as you wrote this book? The most, the most surprising part for me, I've always been, I ran a sports nutrition company for eight years, which allowed me to see inside that industry, which was fascinating. So I got to see the best and the worst practices, <laughs> of course, and there's a lot of bad in that, in that business. But I've always been a, a symptom and then treatment type of person. I, I like the precision of problem solution, and I use supplementation. I use prescription uh, medication in, in many cases. I like the specificity of that. And what I realized for myself personally, looking at whether it was fertility markers or any number of things, I was actually doing more harm than good in many cases by taking isolated nutrients Mm -hmm. because scientists can only study what they can isolate. The problem is if you look at something like beta carotene, by itself it doesn't behave in the human body as it would in naturally occurring relationship uh, to other uh, cofactors in any, any number of whole foods. So I've actually turned 180 and gone back to almost exclusively whole foods. And I say almost because it's extremely hard through industrial produced food in the U.S. and in, in other uh, 
first world countries to get some of the nutrition that you need. Uh, but for the most part, I've, I've gone all completely back to whole foods, which was a surprising conclusion for me because I would much prefer to say, I just need to take these five pills and my job is done. Well, you have four, I think it is. P-A-G. Right. Something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you have, you have PAG, (laughs) the (laughs) non-stimulant stack that I found to be very effective for, for increasing the rate of fat loss. But um, I explain what everyone what PAG is. So PAG is, uh, I was for a very long time, one of millions of people using ephedrine to lose lose fat, to accelerate fat loss, ephedrine hydrochloride or ephedra mahuang. It's called by many different names. And it was made illegal for a number of reasons, one of which was it could be used to freebase methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. And it was found in primatine mist tablets, et cetera. And so these days, the amount you can buy, let's say at Walgreens, is limited for that reason. Ephedrine, ephedrine caffeine, and aspirin have been studied in combination for fat loss. The problem with that stack, the problem with most fat loss products, is they're very strong stimulants. So you can do being on speed. It is. It's very, very chemically close, and you can do a lot of damage to your adrenal glands. So, which I did to myself. I had chronic sinusitis, lots of very, very uh, problematic health issues. So I wanted to look for a non-stimulant stack of of supplements that could potentially help. And I have no financial interest in, in, in any of these. I uh, actually did something pretty fun with the supplements that I can talk about it, uh, in a second. But P stands for polycosinol, which is by far the most controversial portion of the in, in, entire stack. And I say controversial because it's based on an extract of whether it's uh, sugar cane or beeswax. Most of the research comes out of Cuba. Mm-hmm. And uh, many studies from Cuba, and now keeping in mind that this relates to some of their main exports, mm-hmm. show fantastic results. And then you look at some of the studies that are done in Europe or the U.S., and they show no results. But um, keeping in mind that I measured all of this, and we can come back to the measurement part, uh, A stands for alpha-lipoic acid, which is a fascinating, fascinating compound. It is an antioxidant that's both fat and water-soluble, which makes it very unique. And it improves, helps to improve insulin sensitivity. So if certainly if you're a type 1 diabetic, you need to be aware of that and speak to your doctor before using uh, any, any supplement if you're on medication or have a medical condition. The two Gs, green tea extract, uh, decaffeinated because you're, you're going for the EGCG. Specifically, uh, what I found fascinating about green tea is that it can trigger uh, apoptosis or cell death in mature fat cells, which is really uncommon, actually. So one of the reasons people regain fat so quickly is they decrease the size of their, their fat droplets, but they still have the same number of cells. So they get fat really quickly and they rebound. And uh, you can inhibit a lot of that by using green tea effectively. And then the last is garlic, which came about in the most circuitous of fashions. But my dad, when he was still 245, was visiting me in San Jose and walked down the street to an an Italian restaurant where they had this huge outdoor grill and he was waiting to order his tri-tip steak. And this, <laughs> and this homeless guy sauntered up to him, really thin homeless guy, and, and, and stood there next to my dad watching the grill. And my dad's like, hi, how's it going? And the guy goes, you know how I lost 100 pounds? And my dad's like, I have no idea. And he said, I ate clove after clove after clove of garlic. And then he just turned and walked away. It was like the messenger had arrived. And it seems like the raving of a lunatic, but I'd been looking at garlic for a really long time. It just turned out 
that I wasn't taking a sufficient dose. And garlic really, really also helps with fat loss. So those four things in combination, if I removed any one of those four, the results were less. But tested that on myself and uh, about a dozen, I would say in the beginning, about a dozen other subjects, mostly friends, male and female, and worked really, really effectively. You take it every day? I don't currently take it every day. With with PAG specifically, I have uh, I tend to be very goal focused, um, not terribly surprising. I can so, tell that. Yeah. <laughs> a little, a little, uh, well, yeah, I, I tend to, to obsess. So hopefully the readers don't have to, uh, right now I'm very fascinated by sex hormones. So testosterone and other markers like sperm count, um, not because I'm trying to have kids, but just because I think it's a good reflection of overall health. Mm-hmm. So eating for fertility was another big surprise. If just simplifying things, if you eat for fertility, a lot of the other pieces of the puzzle tend to take care of themselves. Um, so I'm not taking PAG every day. But if I'm trying to minimize fat gain during the holidays, for example, mm-hmm. so let's say we have Christmas coming up, I like to eat. Part of the reason I live in San Francisco is I really like to eat. So there are Briarmere Farms out on Long Island. I know we're getting pies. I know we're getting cakes, and I'm going to have plenty of it. So I'll have, let's say, 300 milligrams of alpha lipoic acid uh, at the same time that I would have, let's say, the main course. And that would help to minimize some of the fat gain. So I would I would use it around that time. And then I would have the polycosinol before I go to bed. Uh, specifically, just to geek out for a second, because the cholesterol synthesis um, in most people tends to peak between midnight and 4 a.m. So I'll have it before I go to bed. Uh, there are so many questions uh, that when we come back I want to ask you about. But, but I do want to go back to the issue of sex. Mm-hmm. Sex hormones, sperm count, the... the the, the theme, of course, is that if you're able to rev your engines, mm-hmm. uh, in particular in an area which we know is fundamentally important and reflective of human health, reproduction, uh, then you're probably going to do okay in other places as mm-hmm. well. Uh, I'd like to pick up uh, on that theme when we return and, and also get into some of the deep issues around muscle building. We have a lot more to talk about, but first, let's take a quick break. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app. An uncommon guide to rapid fat loss, incredible sex, and becoming superhuman. Before we get to the superhuman component, let's talk about incredible sex. <laughs> so you have spent a lot of time in this book, and it really is beautifully written. I Thank mean, you. when I say that, I mean it's not just that it's meticulous; it's just it's funny. Thank uh, you. It's it's playful, <laughs> uh, appropriately self-deprecating at times, but serious uh, at, at others. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, the research you've done on yourself and others, uh, uh, and, and and particularly how you gauged health based on sperm count mm-hmm. and how you able to change those numbers in mm-hmm. ways that I found dramatic. So the the book was initially planned to be a very 
It's a very, very small book. <laughs> this changed. It's like 500 pages or something. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's 558 a, pages, and no. I'm carting this thing around for my wife. <laughs> I will. I may get you a Kindle for Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> will the pictures come out as well, I wonder? <laughs> well, we had to replace all the photographs with illustrations, of course, <laughs> being in the U.S. So boy, that was, that was a challenge. But the... The book was initially going to be a very thin book that covered simply fat loss and muscle building. That's it. Mm-hmm. And when I looked at muscle building, of course, one of the limiting factors was testosterone, uh, certainly for men and for women. And when I started doing a, a lot of extensive blood testing, I realized that as healthy as I was or healthy as I thought I was, I registered on the low range of testosterone, which struck me as very, very strange. Mm -hmm. And I had noticed also over time that my my interest in sex, while it was still there certainly, had had decreased pretty markedly from, let's say, uh, 25 to 30. And when I dug into it even deeper, I I found through testing at uh, a laboratory called SpectraCell, which is allegedly used by Lance Armstrong and many other top so athletes. It's a, it's a good lab. It is a good lab. And they and also measure uh, white cell antioxidant levels right. and vitamin levels. Yeah. And the and the way they present the 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 actual results is I think very very good as well. I identified a selenium deficiency. I had a selenium deficiency. So how many people think about selenium every day? I certainly don't. Mm-hmm. And commonly found in Brazil nuts, among other things. Actually, really high doses in Brazil nuts, so you have to be careful you don't have too much. But identified selenium deficiency and uh, a few other things that were slightly off kilter. Fixed those, and within, I want to say, eight weeks, eight to 12 weeks, I tripled my bioavailable testosterone. I mean, that is... Just from... But you did other things besides I selenium. I did a few other things, uh, specifically cold, uh, cold exposure, and that, that just means 10 to 15 minute ice baths three times a week. That's painful. That's not like if an you, easy, like, oh, just this simple little step. Right. My dad called those the Guantanamo Bay treatments. <laughs> right. uh, but if you do it up here, if you, if you go fully submerged, it's, it is truly a, a, a out-of-body experience. But if you, if you go up to your mid-abdomen and just read a newspaper or something like that, uh, it's, it's surprisingly easy. Uh, you acclimate really quickly. Why but, does that raise your testosterone? Uh, so that frozen, yeah, your, your it's test- a panic response. It's a panic response in the <laughs> testicles. This is not probably not far off, uh, but for sperm count specifically. So I was, I was doing, I was trying to address both at the same time. Cause I also registered on the lower scale of things for sperm count. And that, and that came about again, accidentally, because I wanted to, I had a few brushes with mortality. A number of my friends were diagnosed with cancer. One passed away very sadly in, in, uh, 32, 33. Jeez. Uh, two friends diagnosed with testicular cancer, which we could come back to in a second, but I realized that I better buy myself an insurance policy, so I wanted to, to start banking sperm. Another nasty surprise on the low end of normal uh, and and dropping. That was the scary part, uh, as I did it over time. So the, the selenium, the ice... Uh, among other things, vitamin D, vitamin A, I began taking uh, fermented cod liver, which sounds horrific, and I recommend capsules as opposed to liquid. Why do you ferment the cod liver? So there's there's a long... This is a, a very controversial area of, um, of debate, but if you look at Weston Price, and uh, who was an, ethnogra- an ethnographer and dentist who traveled around the world looking at different indigenous populations and uh, trying to identify the populations that were free of disease and why they were free of disease. One of the consistent food products uh, was lacto-fermented foods of various types. 
And they're just, there's some very interesting properties of fermented foods. But you could eat sauerkraut. You don't have to ferment your cod liver oil. You don't have to ferment your cod liver oil for whatever reason. And the, the hypothesis is what vitamin K or vitamin K2. Uh, I, I figure if I can get it fermented and just get it in one capsule, again, coming back to my, my fixation on the, uh, efficiency. The, the efficiency sniper shot, one shot, one kill, then, then I would take it that way. Um, but I also consumed uh, the sauerkraut. Um, for the the bacteria benefits, and I was able to, so I, I ended up tripling my bioavailable testosterone, doubling my sperm count. Um, I I actually do think, and this came from a very high level strength strength coach who's, who's dealt with multiple world champions, professional athletes, removing the cell phone from the pocket, uh, and this this is something I did not want to put in the book because most people associate that type of recommendation with. They're, they're, they're Aunt Susie who also likes to tell them to use crystals. And it's like, oh, sure, you know, everything's going to give me cancer. The microwave's going to kill me. The cell phone's going to kill me. But when I, when I spoke with his strength coach, his name's Charles Poliquin, a very, very smart guy. And in fact, some of his genetic testing recommendations that I later explored led to a, a, a journal article in Nature, believe it or not, mm. uh, from a, a senior scientist at a company called Illumina, which processes all the 23andMe and Navigenics tests. But coming back to Charles, uh, I asked him, you've said in interviews that you correlate low testosterone levels with cell phones and pockets with your athletes. And I said, is this something you've actually observed in testing? And he he got pretty, not upset, but he he responded with, this is my opinion. He said, look at some of the peer-reviewed literature. But he said, filter out the studies that have been funded by industry (laughs) and look at some of the studies. And I did. And it's pretty compelling. So uh, that was another change that I made. Where do you keep your cell phone now? I have my my cell phone with me, but it's off. Uh, Usually I'll keep it in a jacket. So yeah, it's in my jacket right now. And uh, if I have it in my pocket, I'll just turn it off and then I'll check it when I get to my destination. So if I'm sitting here, if I were, let's say we were on our laptops working, I would just have my cell phone off to the side. And uh, I've replicated this with a number of male friends. They've seen the exact same change uh, trend-wise in sperm count and testosterone. So I would say at the very least, it's a hypothesis worth disproving. Um, And when you come down to it, when I affected my own testosterone and sperm count, I mean, these are not these are these are non-trivial changes. I mean, doubling my uh, not only sperm count but improving the morphology, the motility, everything um, that changes everything in my life. And girlfriend's now pregnant. Trying <laughs> no, right. children over the planet. Super sperm. I have to be careful. Uh, spread out. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, but when when people are able to impact their their reproductive health in that fashion even to a much lesser extent it affects uh self-reported well-being how you feel how you interact with people your relationship your marriage i mean it's it's a very big variable it's a huge area of life as as you said earlier so i felt absolutely compelled to include a number of chapters on sex i mean we have the the 15 minute female orgasm as well which has been received very positively actually i then with pictures by the way <laughs> with pictures go, go to the 15 minute orgasm before i come back to muscle building <laughs> okay. the pictures by the way i was showing my mom i said should i get dad this diet book for christmas and i i she just randomly opened it and there's this very graphic <laughs> my mother-in-law <diagram. laughs> so so just a note on 
on the random opening, uh, it this worked out completely by accident that the the diagrams for the which are very detailed for the fifteen minute female orgasm are right in the middle of the book. It was a complete accident. Exactly. It's like the page break. <laughs> so if you flip it open, that's the first thing you see, <laughs> uh, which has been has some hysterical outcomes. But uh, so that the the 15-minute female orgasm or just the topic of female orgasm was actually a request by uh, female friends of mine um, because I was looking at testosterone. I was reporting all these amazing results and going into all these fantastic results in my sex life related to testosterone. They said, what is this? Is this a boys club? They're like, why don't you have anything for the girls? And I said, well, okay, you name it. What should I cover? And there were a number of very specific things that they felt I should cover one of which was female orgasm because it's it's viewed as very nebulous, this elusive, the analogy I use in the book is, you know, the snow leopard. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. It's true. And, and doesn't Rare exist. Blood. Maybe it doesn't. You know, is it like a Bin Laden? Is he, is he alive? Is he dead? Where is he? And, That's, you know, that, do we have a, you know, on the television show, we have a warm-up uh, uh, comedian who keeps the audience engaged in between mm-hmm. segments. So a very, very <laughs> funny line he came up with recently. He said, we did, you know, we did a show actually on the female orgasm. No, it was on the G-spot. No, no, no. Oh. And, and we were focusing on the G-spot. Mm-hmm. But he says, unfortunately, we can't air it. We can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> and right. Then, and then he, the boom is, <laughs> you know, we got, uh, we, we also did one on the, the male orgasm. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, uh, was the male orgasm? No, it's... Uh, mm-hmm. It was, yeah. a, it was yeah. the male orgasm. Okay. It was the male orgasm, but the problem with that is it's too short. Yeah, I was going to say, we just minutes handed long. index cards out to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> you never have to buy Cosmo again. Uh, but the, 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 the frequency, or I should say infrequency with which some women experience sexual climax of any type really surprised me. I mean, the, the percentage of women who really just have never experienced what they believe to be an orgasm. I had no idea that it was as problematic as it is. So I wanted to look at it in a very systematic, and this sounds sterile and scientific, but I wanted it to be because I wanted it, people to be able to replicate the results if I, if, I re, if I got any, and I didn't know if I would, but met with sex educators, MDs, uh, but I went to the fringes too. So I met people who, who run uh, effectively orgasm meditation communes these would be one way to describe it where all they focus on is manual stimulation of the clitoris there's some guy that does that here in new york they oh yeah like once a week you can yeah. go yeah go have yeah. coaching classes yes. or group <laughs> sessions absolutely so i, I went well, to uh, explain Warren was going to have him on our on our pilot i was like no way <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These, these are just shot a sh- uh, pilot for a television program but no it was nice. it's crazy we saw the footage of it it's it's kind of weird do you, you sit in a big class and you give each other's or you do your on yourself no, no you bring a, you either can bring a male partner or a female partner or or they can assign you someone. Yep. I, I don't know these guys that go show up with nobody yeah, hey, I do that. available. <laughs> so, so there's I'll give you a little background here because it's it's to me I, just it it is I wouldn't call it because now I've been exposed to it and I've right. seen the benefit of it. There are strange aspects <laughs> to it. Don't to get me wrong. One of the I have. Volunteer. I have. Oh, you volunteered. I, 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 in the name no of science, I had to sacrifice. <laughs> Some chapters were fun to research than others. Uh, but I went to a group class as an example. This is uh, for an organization called One Taste. Uh, is this it, manual stimulation, you said? Yes, manual yes, stimulation. Manual. Well, the, the objective, you know, Nicole was, of, of Nicole, uh, or I should say Nicole's objective, let me work on my grammar as a writer, was to <laughs> teach women about orgasm in a well-lit, non-creepy environment, effectively. Mm-hmm. And 
So you go in and you practice. It's just like yoga, you know, breathe in, breathe out. It's 15 minutes. That's hence the, the name of the chapter of direct stitteral, uh, stitteral, oh boy, <laughs> here we go, clitoral stimulation uh, with some very, very strict guidelines. And what this does, which is very, very, very valuable, is it, it, de- it uncouples the orgasm from sex. So you take away a lot of the distraction, a lot of the expectation. There's no, there's no disrobing. Well, yeah, there is disrobing, of course, at one, in the beginning, but there's no fondling. There's well, no, once you're naked, there's we're, no disrobing anymore. Right, exactly. The male has to stay clothed or it's game over because men, <laughs> men have no self, well, speaking for myself, very little self-control. <laughs> and uh, you can, you can, uh, women can train themselves and men can facilitate uh, repeated contractions over a 15-minute period. But what you realize the one common characteristic of inorgasmic women is they, they've never masturbated. And uh, it, it very typically also corresponds to being raised in, uh, in a religious environment. Uh, and one I did not expect is uh, many of the women are the, the oldest uh, daughters in their family. Hmm. And in their families. And they are viewed as, they view themselves as the role model. And so in many cases, even if their younger sisters were raised in the same family, they're perfectly orgasmic. But the oldest uh, sisters tend to, to not be. Um, so very important topic. Um, 95, so far at least from the, from the, from the data, <laughs> uh, the, the real world experimentation, uh, 95% plus hit rate, I mean success rate. And so, just so I'm clear on this, so you'll, you, you, there's a, a little bit of a science education about, yeah. about how you submit the clitoris, there's an mm-hmm. art to it. Mm-hmm. You practice it on, in the one p- o'clock. Yeah, yeah. So we, I mean, I can, get, I can be specific, right? Yeah, please do. Actually, you know what? We're going to have to wait because we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get to a lot more questions after the break. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. All right, Tim Ferriss, talk to us about the female orgasm. All right, so the specifics. One tip that is immediately actionable for people and very specific is the most sensitive area of the clitoris for most women. If you're facing the clitoris from between the legs, it would be from the, from the, the let's just say we're dealing with a heterosexual couple, the, from the male's perspective, uh, at between 1 and one thirty on the clock face, if the very top of the clitoris is 12 o'clock, that is where most women will be most sensitive. So to your left side a tiny bit, up center. So to my... To, to, to the female. To the female's left side. Upper so left... reach it easily. Right, upper left-hand quadrant, your, exactly. Use your left hand. <laughs> exactly. No, you use your right hand. Is it left, to the left side? Yeah, well, you use your right hand. Oh. And then you just turn, you would turn your wrist so it looks like you're, that's, yeah. that's another fine-tuning technique. You turn your wrist so it, as if you were looking at your watch. But if you, if you practice very, <laughs> and the, the touch is also important here. It's, it's not erratic. It's a very small movement. So we're talking about 
a quarter of an inch of back and forth movement and the pressure would be two sheets of paper or so of pressure. It's very light and it's, con- it's continual. You can change the speed, uh, let's say every two to three minutes, but otherwise it's just 15 minutes of direct stimulation uh, and a lot of the insecurities or fears related to sex come to the surface with this type of, of practice and it is a practice. And so one of the objectives is for the woman to notice the self-talk. What type of self-talk surfaces? Is there unnecessary shame? Is there unnecessary guilt? And to let that pass through, it's very much like meditation. And uh, the therapeutic effects come very quickly. You see, you see women who have had no have never experienced the involuntary contractions associated with with orgasm, the word orgasm, after a few sessions of this. So we're talking about 15 minutes each, three or four sessions experience their first orgasm. It's it's really quite, quite remarkable. Why do you think that these techniques have not been more broadly discussed? I think the reason, there are a few reasons that the techniques have not been more broadly discussed. The first, unfortunately, is that we live in a fairly puritanical society. And I, I'm not going to name names, but there were a number of morning shows that would not have me on the shows. I've been on their shows. They like me as a guest, but because the subtitle included the word sex, they would not have me on their shows. Mm-hmm. And so number one, I think because there's a bias against open discussion of sex in the United States, except for in circles that most people don't want to go into. So for most people, the idea of going to a group <laughs> clitoral stimulation <laughs> session <laughs> it w- is out of the question. Name one taste. Right. I, 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 <laughs> and it's unfortunate, but I, I recognize why that would be the case. So what I'm hoping to do, since I have the, the benefit of, of access to these various people, whether it's Olympic strength coaches or, or people who lead organizations like One Taste, is to bring the best practices into the mainstream in a way that is unintimidating. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm hoping very much that this is just the beginning of the conversation. I want to just spark the conversation and get people started. Uh, But I hope there's much more of it. I I, I understand the puritanical elements of this, but let's just, we can move out of sex because it's, it's true in other areas as well. I I sense just glancing through the book and Lisa again is, you know, I can't get the book out of our hands. I really like it. The, the, that there's, a gap that you believe exists between the hard science approach to looking at these things mm-hmm. and the more experiential approach mm-hmm. that you've been using. Right. And, and it's an intriguing one because it's one that actually challenges most medicine. When you mm-hmm. try to take, and a scientist will do this, one specific aspect of a program and tease it out, you often don't get the, the right. results that you'll appreciate. It's the it's the system, that uh, the ecosystem you create around yourself that allows you to raise your testosterone, your sperm count, right. and maybe deal with more muscle mass. Mm-hmm. I, I just love to understand your take as a, as a layman who studied this stuff better than most physicians have, mm-hmm. where you think those gaps exist. And I just used the orgasm, sure. but you can pick any other topic, muscle building, weight sure. loss. I think there are a few, and uh, you've had uh, exposure to so many different facets of, of medicine, uh, both on the clinical side and on the, the popular side through the media, et cetera. So you're very aware of this. There are, there are a few issues, I would say, that, that produce these gaps. The first is that uh, published literature has its limitations. Uh, and as, as one example, people don't work for free. So these studies need to be funded. And uh, I'm not going to paint a conspiracy theory because I think a lot of it is overblown. But the fact of the matter is, if you want to study, let's just say, the effect of removing dairy from your diet on acne, 
or if you want to study that across 20 or 100 subjects, that costs money to do. And it is going to be easier to study something like a drug such as tetracycline as opposed to removing dairy from the diet. And many of the studies that would be most actionable or the results of which would be most actionable, will never, ever get funded for a host of different reasons, um, whether logistics or otherwise. And I think that's part of the reason, is that uh, there, are, there are few funding sources, not only that, but uh, so Dr. Seth Roberts, who's a professor emeritus from UC Berkeley, is a good friend of mine and, and wrote uh, a number of the chapters, uh, two of the chapters in the book. Oh no, one was unfortunately had to be removed due to, due to length, but uh, <laughs> it was a big book. Well, well, uh, you're up to 600 pages, why would you bother? I know, we had, we had to cut about 150 pages. Are you kidding me? No, no, it was... Uh, well, how can folks find that? Did you put it on your website? I'm going to put it on the website, good. yeah, yeah. And one of the chapters he wrote is called The Value of Self-Experimentation. And this is, the, and he's, he's, he's published and he's critiqued published literature. He's a very knowledgeable guy, understands the statistics. Uh, the other issue is that in the, in the publish or perish world of academia, the studies that could be most useful are oftentimes the, the least prestigious. It's very unusual, uh, but that's the reality that exists. Uh, so it's, it's, much, it's much more respectable in, in certain facets of whether it's, it's medicine or psychology to study the abstract, the, the big, the broad, as opposed to the really specific. And uh, so that's one reason I think the gaps exist. Another reason the gaps exist, I would say, is that the technology hasn't existed up until the last, really the last 24 months, I would say, for the average person uh, to gather data and really parse it intelligently. But I don't think the average person will ever gather data on themselves the way you do. I mean, you inserted right. one of those little right the medical devices into your side, <laughs> you know, glucose monitoring system yes. inside his body. Yes. <laughs> right, right. So I wouldn't expect people to do that. Uh, but for example, there's a device called the Zio. Uh, it's a sleep. It's a it's a sleep monitoring device, and it's it's effectively an EEG. I mean, this, is this, this the thing you wear on your head? Yeah, and it tracks yeah. it. It tracks your. Uh, you got a little. No, no, I, oh, it does. It I, does. I, Leave a mark on the floor. Yeah, I did an even more advanced one. Uh, there's a, there's so a sleep funny. apnea device. Oh, That's, all right. So it's you take the Zio test, mm-hmm. which is a nice little way of figuring out how yeah. you're sleeping, and then you add to it a device that actually monitors oxygen coming in out of your nose. Sounds comfortable. Yeah, it, well, it's actually not bad. <laughs> okay. I, 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 I use. I, I love this device, yeah. and uh, it's it's wonderful because it helps people figure out not only how they sleep during the evening, mm-hmm. but do they have any element at, at all sleep apnea. Hmm. And I'm interested in it because sleep apnea is one of the biggest problems we have in America. Right. It's one of the biggest reasons we don't sleep well. And this would help folks at a, very inexpensively in the comfort of their own home. They don't have to go to the sleep lab, mm-hmm. figure it out if they got a problem. Then but you he got, put it on wrong and bruised his head. I didn't put it on wrong. Sometimes you put it on too tightly. I, I was one of the beta. I was testing it. I mean, the device didn't exist right. when I did it. Yeah. So I was curious. Right. So, with, I mean, with the, you know, the Zio, I was always afraid that I would toss and turn and knock it off my head. So I <laughs> tightened it like Rambo and it was a little, <laughs> lift a little mark. <laughs> Same thing. That's right. But but How often that, do you take your blood? Oh well, it depends. If I was doing a test, I, I again, I'm I'm a, I'm a, a strange bird, but I, in some cases, I was doing every two to four weeks, depending. So, uh, but just to come back to the the the, the, the Zio or this device for sleep apnea, that just did not exist five right. years ago, and I think that's part of the reason that these gaps exist because there are sites like patients like me uh, that have that that have replicated clinical studies across hundreds of people and displayed the data intelligently. 
they just didn't exist. And that's so exciting to me. I really think 2011 is going to be a huge year for looking at how medical discoveries can come out of this collective wisdom. Um, but I think that's another reason. Uh, I, I, just you've already chronicled this in yourself, and I just love talking about this stuff mm-hmm. because I think it is practical because it worked on one person. It might work on many of our, of our listeners uh, and viewers for the show. I, I, walk us through some of the strength advice you give. Mm-hmm. For, for folks who, you know, elevating your testosterone is one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must say, you know, I'm, I'm still a little bit... Uh, Suspect of bursting myself in cold baths, <laughs> right? Yeah, so but, we, but, we, can, but, we can definitely talk more I'm about not that. Go, I don't want to go that. I'm talking yeah. about broadly about how you. I mean, he has Tim has these pictures of himself where you look pretty cut, and then you look a lot more cut, and mm-hmm. it's only a few weeks later. It's his yep. kettlebell. I bought you one for Christmas. Kettlebell. Oh. I've actually used a kettlebell, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know, you have to use it every hour. I mean, how do you? How do you? How do you <laughs> it's not just. The, I mean, I work out a fair amount as well, but it's more than that uh, yeah. that you that you articulate in the book, right? So. In this particular muscle gain chapter, I really wanted to demonstrate exercise, how exercise can be used like medicine. Uh, and uh, there's, there's a gentleman named uh, D- Doug McGuff, Dr. Doug McGuff, who talks about this extensively, but the minimal effective dose. So what is the proper dose of exercise for the outcome that you want? And much like medicine if, or any drug, if, if you overdo it, if you take too much, there are side effects. Now, in this case, I did, and this was, this was documented by a PhD at San Jose State University, did hydrostatic weighing and had circumference measurements, photographs. It was very well documented. And I gained 34 pounds of muscle in, in four weeks. It's just it, which hot, that's crazy. crazy, which is crazy. It is. It's eight, and eight and a half pounds a week. That's, that's, it's, it's, it's a lot. And we could, we could definitely dig into what that, what that means in terms of what, what those 30 pounds, 34 pounds consisted of, because there's, there's a lot that goes into it. But also lost three pounds of fat, and I, I don't fixate as much on cholesterol as I used to, but I decreased my cholesterol from 222 to 147. Uh, also, total, total cholesterol. Correct. Um, which, as you know, doesn't give a complete picture at all, but uh, that, w- that was the number. Uh, so one also interesting number. Now, the, the more fascinating part about this is that it was done with two 30-minute strength training workouts per week. So in this <laughs> case... Any it cardio w- on top of that? I did no cardio. None? None, but we can, we can definitely talk about this. I did no cardio... In the traditional sense, uh, what's really fascinating about weight training, and I did this using a very safe protocol. And for me, strength training is about injury prevention first, yeah. and performance strength enhancement second. Uh, the cadence, so all the exercises were five seconds up, five seconds down, very, very slow lifting speed to eliminate momentum, which means you use weights that you can control. Mm-hmm. One set to failure per exercise, very similar to what Arthur Jones did decades ago with Nautilus. Uh, he did an experiment called the, the uh, Colorado experiment, which is very much more controversial than mine, where Casey Vieter, who is a bodybuilder, dieted down first and then gained 63 pounds of muscle in 28 days. And uh, he, that, about 20 pounds of that was muscle regain. He was also compensated per pound he gained and had super, uh, just mutant genetics. But I gained 34 pounds. And uh, the protocol is replicable. Uh, I don't think that most people will gain 34 pounds. I'm not going to even even suggest that's the case. Uh, the first 10 pounds of that, I would say for me, were also regain, muscle regain. And just like fat has a memory, uh, muscle cells do as well due to satellite cells and other things. But uh, if if you are, let's just say, a, a male who weighs more than 120 pounds, so you have more than 120 pounds of lean muscle, uh, gaining 10 pounds in a month, even even 15 pounds in a month, not that difficult to do. 
if you consume enough food, assuming you don't have leaky gut syndrome or some type of digestive disorder. For, for, for the listeners who may not be picking up the, the four-hour uh, body, mm-hmm. walk us through mm-hmm. uh, basic principles, five seconds up, five seconds down, sure. so there's no momentum, mm-hmm. use controllable weights. I could, I could give two complete workouts in probably 60 seconds. So let's say you, you do two workouts per week. If you've had trouble gaining weight, uh, Monday, Friday, let's just say that those your two workouts are going to be on Monday and on Friday. And the first workout would be uh, overhead press. Mm-hmm. Second exercise is squat mm-hmm. or uh, using a machine. Uh, just make sure that you're controlling the cadence. So five seconds up, five seconds down. That's your entire workout. All at overhead press and That's squat. That's it? That's it. If we're going to keep this simple, like, but what, that will, I'm sure that's not going to take you half an hour to do. Not at all. This is going to take you, that's going to take you less than five minutes. You're done. And you're done. So the second workout, just to finish it up, because I, 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 this is the second workout. Uh, if you wanted to add one more exercise, I would say, let's make it three. So you would do overhead press. Uh, you would do bent row. So some type of rowing exercise where you're pulling and then the squat. And then on Friday, you would do, let's just say, uh, Decline bench press, flat bench press can bother the shoulders. So decline or incline bench press, pull down. So another pulling movement, and then uh, something like deadlift. Uh, but if 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 you don't have professional instruction to teach you the technique on the deadlift, then you could do another leg exercise, just another variant of the squat, and that's it. That that's that is your workout for the entire week. And in the other diet dietary component that is important here is it, it is protein intake. And uh, there's a lot of debate about protein. There are a lot of myths and misconceptions about protein. But if you're a healthy male, you don't have any pre-existing kidney issues or anything like that, one pound, I'm sorry, one gram of protein per pound of desired body weight. Uh, so you're, you, and you would actually target 10 pounds above your current weight. So it gets, it gets really specific, but protein in that, to that regard, I think people have to buy the book because it is spectacular. Uh, I can applaud you, Tim, for putting all the effort into it. It is Thank a you. wonderful treatise, uh, studying your own body, but also, uh, expose, expose the new way by which we can learn about the human body. Uh, Tim Ferriss, the four hour body number. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.